This is the Hashtag Higher Ed Podcast, presented by eCity Interactive. eCity creates websites, marketing campaigns, and magic for higher ed institutions, large and small. Every digital challenge has a solution. eCity's talented team of problem solvers will help you find yours. And now, here's your host, Stephen App. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Hashtag Higher Ed Podcast. I am your host, Stephen App. Uh, we have a killer show today, and an international show today. Uh, my guest is J.P. Rains. He is the Director of Digital Strategy at Laurentian University in Ontario. And J.P., am I pronouncing this right? Is it Canada? <laughs> Pretty close, yeah. <laughs> I think uh, a, a few friends and I considered moving there last year around this time. Yeah, I did get a lot of uh, a lot of questions around uh, early or late November. I think, <laughs> yeah, it was popular. Uh, we're going to talk about student journey mapping today. Uh, I know a topic that's near and dear to you, JP, and a topic that I'm excited to learn more about, and that I think a lot of our listeners are going to be uh, excited to learn more about. And I feel like we should really start kind of with some table stakes here. I mean, can you describe to me and to our audience? what exactly student journey mapping is, and I think even more so, why higher ed administrators really need to care about this. Yeah, that's a great question, Stephen. Um, student journey mapping is an exercise which really helps us higher administrators understand the student experience from the student's perspective rather than our own. So it really tells the story of a student's journey through that life cycle. And uh, one of the challenges or opportunities for us in higher education is that students are both our consumer and our product. So we really have to focus on them before anything else. And so when you talk about student journey mapping, it's really a core building block uh, of having a, a student-centric uh, experience. And, and so that experience is something we talk about all the time, but in, in a lot of cases, we're talking about it in a very anecdotal way. And, and rarely do we take a, a view uh, that crosses uh, multiple departments and even uh, multiple years of a student experience and really look from a high level uh, you know, where a particular student is, is seeing challenges. So in essence, it really boils down to us understanding three key things. The first is uh, for your particular institution, where are the points of, of challenge that your students are going through for, for your particular institution? And, and that really looks at it from the student's perspective. We all have a sense of you know, where our students are struggling or where they have challenges, uh, but those are assumptions generally that we make uh, about that student journey. And it's rarely something that we uh, have a lot of qualitative data around. And so point number one is really understanding uh, where the challenges exist for our particular institution. Number two is understanding where to focus our institutional efforts. So as much as we want to invest in specific areas when it comes time to budgeting, uh, we rarely have the ability to measure uh, those impacts against each other. So we can invest sure, in student aid, we can invest in mental health, but how does that have an impact over the student journey over the course of time? And what's gonna have the biggest impact for that specific student? So. The student journey mapping process allows us to understand which pain points are the most significant ones for students. The third major piece is continuous improvement. So we in higher ed uh, don't necessarily have a lot of annual benchmarks that are focused in a qualitative way, uh, qualitative but also analytical in nature. And so what higher ed uh, lacks in a lot of cases is uh, specific uh, metrics that both look at the departmental uh, analysis and say within a department how are we doing uh, in terms of impacting the student journey for our specific activity whether that's student aid registration or the application process uh, but then boiling those down to how what is their impact on the student experience so really that student journey allows us to say uh, within specific areas, what kind of impact are we having on that student journey? Uh, and really doing that through things like interviews and qualitative analysis. And so this student journey mapping process allows us to benchmark year to year for our departmental improvements. Yeah, I just love this idea of zooming out, right? I, th I mean, these are long cycles when you're talking about prospective students coming into a university, going through an application process waiting for a decision, then going through this yield process. 
uh, I love the idea of zooming out and seeing this entire ecosystem rather than focusing on each individual part of the process as an entire entity. I'm, I'm curious, JP, because my gut tells me that there's no wrong time to create a student journey map or, or, or embark on this uh, process of creating a student journey map. But is there, in particular, a right time to use a student, a student journey map? Yeah, you're right, Stephen. There's no bad time to start. There are opportunities uh, that allow you to kick off the student journey mapping process with a lot of institutional uh, momentum. And I think some of those opportunities, uh, the first opportunity that I'd identify uh, really would be in any uh, major process of organizational change. So anytime an organization is looking at uh, a big focus around the student journey so or the student experience, so for example, that may be kicked off by a new strategic plan. It may be kicked off by an initiative uh, through a specific department or new leadership that comes in within a specific department. Um, in a lot of cases, it can also uh, be just a, a deep dive and say, you know what, we struggle as an institution to really understand what's important to our students, and we're going to focus on that. And one of the elements of that focus uh, and measurement can be the student journey. Uh, so I, I often see uh, institutions embarking on mapping the student journey uh, align while while that's aligned with other uh, process changes. So before a process changes, mapping the student journey to be able to say, here's where we are today after this process change, here's where we are, you know, a year and a half from now, and how has that impacted the student journey? Uh, so those elements, but some of the big ones where I really started doing this stuff, and uh, you know, I was working for a digital agency, and uh, we were in a lot of cases uh, tasked with uh, recreating either the uh, external facing website to really appeal to prospective students uh, and their influencers, or uh, remapping an internal portal, like the student portal, for example. And the student journey mapping exercise uh, really allowed us to understand as a building block where should we focus and where are the elements uh, that that are challenging to students and so having that as a baseline for information really made the discussions a lot easier and so when we go into stakeholder consultations with a journey map we can introduce that and it eliminates a lot of the uh, anecdotal conversations that can sometimes be uh, counterintuitive to some of the data that you've gathered through a student journey so really summarizing that point when should you start i mean there's no wrong time but there are opportunities that come up and they look like um, strategic plan initiatives they can be major web project rebuilds uh, they may be uh, any type of implementation uh, of a process change so you know between those three things uh, i think uh, multiple times per year our institution is doing those things yeah and i'm curious too if you're if you're trying to align this with something that is maybe bigger, right? A bigger strategic endeavor. I mean, what are we talking about from a time standpoint? And I imagine, of course, this is gonna vary uh, in terms of the number of stakeholders that you're including in this process, the size of your of your team, uh, necessity. But in, in, you know, is there an average time that schools might expect to spend on building out a student journey map? Yeah, that's a great question. And so I've seen anything from four months to two weeks. Uh, that two week that two week timeline was pretty intensive, uh, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I would I would say the average is around sixty days. Um, usually in higher ed, I'm sure the folks on the podcast can appreciate this, but uh, scheduling is sometimes just the biggest challenge, just to get the right people in the room, uh, and that's not on the student side; it's definitely on the administrative side, and so. When you look at a process that's first going to um, speak to administrators to begin with, uh, to establish a baseline of activities and then validate that baseline through students. Uh, if you get the buy-in from the administrators right away and be able to uh, do those, those interviews with administrators right away, yeah, 60 days is a is a, a totally feasible process. And it also depends how much time you have coming from the outside, right? Have you had someone that, that's led this process before? Uh, and are they following a model that, uh, that has everything laid out already? Because it's easy to go through this process and then realize, oh, as part of the student journey, we also wanna bring in uh, you know, some folks from uh, the career services department. Oh, and we forgot to talk about this department and all those kinds of things. So it's easy for that scope 
uh, if, if we're talking about project management terms, it's easy for scope creep to happen and for more departments and interviews to be added. Uh, but realistically, I'd say, you know, if you aim for about 60 days, uh, that is a pretty reasonable timeline. And uh, even within two weeks to four weeks, you can get some really meaningful data uh, without creating a substantial delay in your process improvements. down and dirty here. Let's talk about what actually goes into the student journey map. I mean, can you take me through, and maybe this is at a high level, and then breaking it down further within each section, but I mean, can you give me a lay of the land in terms of what the key elements of a student journey map are? Definitely. And uh, it, it, I'll be talking for a while here, so brace yourself, audience. Uh, but when we start with the uh, the student journey, there's really uh, seven points that I'll talk about in terms of the key elements. One would be the entry points. So where does that journey start? Two is your audience. So where are we focusing? Uh, three would be the goals of that audience, centric to them. Uh, four would be the activities. So what are the steps along the process that these students go through? Uh, number five would be what is their what are their emotions at those different points uh, of of uh, those different activities throughout the way. Uh, six would be what are the barriers that they're facing as they go through uh, those activities. What's really the biggest challenge for them? And number seven, what are the insights we can take from that student journey, and what are the things we're going to change as an institution? And so I'll jump into each um, piece in detail again. That's uh, entry points, audience, goals, activities, emotions, barriers, and insights. And uh, so I'll walk us through what does it mean to put together, uh, you know, the the entry points, the audience, etc. And what what we'll aim to do is is hopefully after about. 15, 20 minutes here, uh, you've got a really good sense of how to put those pieces together. And so after that, we'll, we'll talk about you know, how they come together, but we'll talk about what those key elements are first. And so first we have uh, our entry points. And so when we talk about the student journey, uh, if we're focusing on a phase of it, let's take, for example, uh, the, the prospective student journey. What are some of those entry points? Well, in large part, uh, we can have a high level of detail in the, into the entry points, or we can categorize them in, in really three major areas. Um, the first would be, uh, we're talking about an awareness point. So what was the first point that uh, a prospective student had in terms of an interaction with your brand? And so that may be anything from an initial campus visit, whether they're coming for a basketball tournament, a swim meet, uh, or to visit a bigger, a bigger brother, bigger sister, or older cousin on campus. Uh, there's often these in-person touch points that exist, and uh, that could be anything from, for a mature student visiting a career fair or seeing a booth of your institution in a mall somewhere. Uh, those are all sort of those in-person touch points. And within your journey mapping process, you can break those down into detail um, through your interview process of just asking students what was the, when was the first time they, they had an interaction with our institution. Uh, I like to call that the, the really the entry point and not a, as opposed to the awareness point uh, because as a marketer, I'll often track the awareness point, but I don't necessarily uh, bring that data in a great level of detail into the student journey. Uh, because that awareness point, seeing a billboard or uh, seeing hearing an advertisement or something like that would have driven towards the first action, but it wouldn't have um, necessarily been the first action. So that's that's sort of the, the first major entry point would be physical um, touch points with your brand, whether they're on campus or, or meeting when you're reps. Uh, the second point would be largely through the website. So that's when you know, students have done searches, whether they ended up on your website through digital advertising or just your great search engine optimization that I hope you all have, uh, or, or they've come through um, and just you know, said, hey, I really wanna check out this institution. I've heard a lot about them. And so the first visit takes place through their website. 
that's sort of the first two large entry points that I see. And the third that I'll talk about uh, is social media. And so that could be a social mention that then leads to them checking out uh, your brand or asking a question of your brand. In a lot of cases, uh, that entry point is going to be passive. And so the students, whether they're going to check out your uh, videos on YouTube or, you know, the great student takeovers that you might have recently posted on Instagram, uh, that's usually sort of the three major entry points. So summarizing entry points, we've got our uh, in-person touch points, we've got our uh, web-based touch points, and we've got our social media-based touch points. And JP, I'm really curious to know how far back should schools consider going with, with this, with the entry points? I mean, are we talking, you know, look, this could be two years, this could be a year, this could be six months, is, does it matter how far back this entry point might be in a, in a map? That's a great question. And uh, really what matter, what's most important is just having a defined uh, answer to that for your particular journey map. What I recommend uh, is going about two years behind. Uh, a lot of the touch points that may exist previous to two years uh, might be low engagement. And so if a, if a student is in, you know, uh, is 10 years old and they're not going to enroll in your institution for another seven or eight years, uh, while that I totally agree that that uh, interaction can be uh, a really high engagement, generally it's going to be a relatively low engagement and they may not remember much of it. So I like to say two years. Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and I'm curious, and I'm sure you're going to get into this. Uh, as you kind of go through this map, but, but I think we should kind of talk about it a little bit now. When you're building out these student journey maps, are you building out maps by audience type or are you building it out based on uh, entry point? How are you deciding the number of specific student journey maps to build? Yeah, that's a great question and, and a perfect segue. So uh, they're really based around audiences, or at least I recommend them to be based around audiences. Uh, the primary reason why is that those goals, activities, emotions, barriers are all going to be different depending on your audience type. And so in a lot of cases, what I'll look at is say, OK, well, if we're going to map the if we're really going to focus on the prospective student journey, uh, we may look at three types of prospective students. And so we may create one map for uh, our domestic students, we may create one map for our international students, and we may create a, a wholly different map for our online students. So that's essentially creating three journey maps and running through that process uh, with three different audience types to understand what are their goals, activities, emotions, and barriers. And so, you know, I think when we're looking at building maps, it's important to really focus on the audience first because that will define the baseline of information and, and the, the scope of your journey map. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. Absolutely. Okay, great. So I'll get into um, some audiences that are that are common. And so I've talked a little bit about prospective students and broken down, uh, you know, what that could look like. I, I also wanted to say that within that audience, uh, you you can look at a map that's uh, to some degree integrated when you're looking at uh, bringing them together as saying, what is the prospect journey? You may see activities that bubble up to the surface that are specific to one audience within one map. Uh, but I do recommend breaking it down in specific maps for those students, uh, for those different students. Uh, that, that's on the prospect side. On the current student side, that's really where your map can, can, be, can see a huge level of detail. And so when you're looking at your current students, you could be anything from uh, grad versus undergrad, or you could look at your domestic students or your residence-based students. Uh, there's all these different personas within your audiences that you can really focus on. So, for example, if you if you are the, um, let's say, marketing officer for the faculty of business, uh, you can focus your uh, current student journey map specifically on the business students. And if you're uh, looking to create multiple maps, you can say one map for uh, you know, your, your current students that are living in residence. You could look, do one map for your current students that are uh, coming from abroad, and you could do a totally separate map uh, for your executive MBA program. And so that would give you insights as to the student journey at a faculty-based level. Uh, and so I'm seeing a lot of student journey maps uh, 
coming together uh, in some ways very specific and some some areas very specific parts of the student journey in fact uh, I had one institution that asked me to do a journey map for uh, a specific program so they looked at, at one specific program and said, hey, that student experience is great. It's fantastic in this particular uh, program. We want to try to reproduce that across the institution. And so what are the pieces of that student experience that, that give these students a 90 plus satisfaction rating uh, when they talk about student satisfaction? And so doing that journey map of you know, what are the major milestones and activity points for those students allowed them to gain insight in what is the sort of the secret sauce that's that's based around this program. So that's that's what we look at um, in terms of student journey mapping. And you can also look at uh, current students by type of activity. So if those current students, you know, you really want to focus on athletes or you really want to focus on um, students that are doing co-op opportunities, uh, you can do that. And so those are some of the detailed ones. Naturally, uh, the most common one that, that I'll be asked to do is just what is a student journey at a high level? Because we've got you know 30,000 students and we can't break it down in, into tremendous layer of detail. We don't have that type of um, energy or budget. And so we really need to focus on the student journey as a whole. And so that's where in the journey we'll, we'll uh, interview a number of students to basically uh, round out that student journey and be representative also about uh, if we've got 30,000 students and half of them are online, well, you'd better bet that half of our interviews are going to be with online students and we're going to analyze that in a proportional way uh, because your journey map has to be reflective of the students that you have. I think you mentioned something there that, that's really important, which was that representative aspect. Uh, and I'm, I know you mentioned it from kind of a, uh, I guess for, for lack of a better term, I'll say a, a diversity standpoint, right? So if you have, if half your population is from this bucket, you want to make sure that your student interviews are, are reflective of that. I'm curious also just from a sheer quantity number, uh, how are you deciding what is a representative population just strictly you know, from a quantitative standpoint? Yeah, usually uh, time and budget. <laughs> and so when, uh, you know, when we look at, okay, if we have, like I said, 30,000 students and 15,000 of them are online, if we can say that uh, confidently, if we can interview, uh, do one-on-one -on -one interviews with 15 to 20 uh, students, and those 15 to 20 students are all generally from different backgrounds or different programs, we start to be able to create connections and, and get a sense of, you know, really where the student journey is taking place. And uh, the key thing in, in those representative numbers, especially when you're investing in one-on-one -on -one interviews, is just creating the connection points and saying, okay, uh, of the 15 I've interviewed, here's where 10 students, here's something that 10 students identified as a really uh, key piece of their student journey. Well, you know, there, there's a, an assumption. And, and then the other five identified that as, a, as still a key piece, but maybe with less emphasis. And so then I can confidently say that this, this particular part of the student journey, this element of the student journey um, is, is particularly relevant to all students. So it's, it's, we can't do the same as in surveying, uh, but what we do on the, on the quantitative side is look at things like what are the analytics in the student portal? Does that back up some of the things that we're seeing in the qualitative side? So it is you do have to marry both the qualitative data and the quantitative data um, to have a representative source. And so while we get great data coming from Google Analytics or we can review uh, question logs from the registrar's office, um, we'll use that against and map that against um, some of the questions we hear and, and some of the comments we hear in the one-on-one -on -one interviews. So, so that's, that's the student part and I, we've also done some mapping around the uh, uh, alumni side and the donor side so I know that's especially for our friends in advancement something that's very key to them. Uh, and so that process is, is very similar on the alumni side. It's you know, identifying where our alumni are coming from, uh, mapping out their journey from point of graduation. Let's say that scope would be point of graduation until um, 
potentially a, a end of life gift or something like that. So uh, you do, you'll do <laughs> the interviews are a lot of fun on the alumni side where uh, you know you hear stories from the recent grad that's out two years that still has a warm and fuzzies but isn't probably a donor yet, and then you get the uh, sort of twenty year out uh, alum that's just wants to talk about the great times that they had and uh, the friends they made, and then you get the um, you know, grad from 40 years ago that uh, wants to tell you about how much the institution has changed and how um, how proud they are that they shaped the institution and, and whether they're a donor or whatever. So you get a, a huge uh, range of emotions in that in that alumni journey. And uh, so that one's always a fun one to do. The, the donor one as well. And you really get to see some of the key points as to really why they made those donations. And I think that that has uh, created a lot of insight, a valuable insight for our, uh, for our colleagues in advancement, especially when um, you know, we assume certain things, but uh, they, they can really lay it out uh, in, a, in a meaningful way and in, in an emotional way because we'll talk about their emotions, right? So that's that's the audiences. We've got I've talked about prospects. I've talked about students, alum, uh, donors, and uh, and you know those are largely the audiences that we'll measure. Uh, the second piece uh, in the or the third piece in the journey after our uh, entry point and our audience members would be the goals. And so the goals are really what that particular audience member is trying to achieve. And so when we look at a prospect. Uh, their goals generally, and I, I like to have no more than three goals as part of an audience member's journey. Uh, their first goal generally as a, as a prospect is looking at the application process. So generally their first goal is just to um, narrow down their application list to X number of schools. So that's, that's the first goal and, and perform that application. So generally you see that as uh, as the first goal. The second goal for a prospect is is usually around uh, receiving an offer of admission. And so that's when, you know, they're they're in the journey as you map it out, we kind of map it out like a, a bit of a wave. Well, the highest emotional point in that wave is gonna be when they receive their first offer. And that's gonna be where they're jumping up and down, doing their happy dance and all those kinds of things. And uh, And so that's generally their second goal and the third goal would be the point of enrollment. And so that prospect journey generally looks at those three goals throughout. Uh, and as you can tell, all three of those goals are very centric to that audience member. Uh, on the other side, when you're looking at students, um, I like to work backwards for students and say, their goal is to graduate. And if you ask them, if you ask a first year student or a fourth year student, uh, that's their goal. They may also say get a good job and that kind of thing. And so that's a that's an outcome of their student journey. Uh, and so I'll, I'll usually add that into the graduating component. Uh, and it also fuels some of their activities throughout the way, like co-ops and extracurricular activities that contribute towards getting a good job and networking and those kinds of things. So. So current students generally have the goal of uh, graduating. They often uh, have like mini goals along the way that may be just past midterms, you know, past exams. And so that's where you see that uh, the exam point is usually when I talk about that emotional wave. Well, if you're going on a green, uh, yellow, red color scale, well, that red piece is where the exams take place, right? And that's where they're really um, challenged. So that's where we where we identify some of those things. And so that's generally their goals. When we look at alum, a lot of their goals are, uh, you know, around in, engaging uh, with their classmates. And I say their classmates specifically because while they have a, a huge affinity towards the institution, they're... Uh, their love and their passion is generally for their classmates, the experiences they have and the experiences they can create for other current students. And so it's really being focused on being audience centric when you're looking at uh, those types of goals. And so those are goals. Um, goals can often be confounded with activities as well. So while a goal might be to uh, pass all exams, an activity would be to go through the exam period. And so uh, I'll talk a little bit about activities, which is really the core elements of the journey. So if there are 25 to 50 activities in a journey, uh, you know, they'll range anywhere from 
and I'll talk about prospects here, uh, they'll range anywhere from uh, their first visit to the institutional website uh, to uh, their first call with a, an admissions officer or recruitment officer. Uh, and so those are examples of activities along the way. Uh, you may also look at things like uh, completing the application process, uh, completing the registration process, and uh, receiving an offer. There's also some conditional activities that I like to include in MAPS. So for example, uh, let's say a student is really focused on getting into uh, a specific program like a, like a pre-med program that might have uh, very difficult admission requirements. Well, if they don't get into pre-med and they do receive an offer, uh, another offer, an alternate offer uh, for uh, sort of a general science degree uh, that could then ladder in or bridge into pre-med in in future years, that could be a conditional activity that they sort of go through. And so that would be a sub-activity of their uh, application process. And so those activities are really what you're trying to get out. And in a lot of cases, I recommend working with administrators to say, okay, administrators, if you've got, you know, if you've got a room full of uh, folks that are, uh, you know, admissions officers, recruitment officers, this kind of thing, and say, tell me all the steps that students go through. And just starting with writing them all down and uh, getting them all on the board. There's probably 50 different steps that they're going to go through. And then what we do is start narrowing them down to what are the really key pieces. And so if we've got 50 up here, um, you know, if you if you could knock out the ones that are uh, minor pieces or, or activities that um, do not have a huge impact on the student journey or don't define the student journey, what would those be? And so we look at um, really mapping the key activities uh, throughout the way. And then what we do is take that baseline of activities uh, and then bring that to the students and say, ask the same question to the students without prompting and say, okay, students, walk me through what it was like to go through the application process and start start from you know the point of consideration when you when you first thought you know I'm interested in this program. So what did you do? You know what activities did you run through? And it it's awesome, Stephen, to see the difference between the activities that the students list and the administrators list. And uh, that, that can be really eye-opening for our administrators uh, because when we look at everything that stuck with specific students uh, and map that against what we thought was part of the process, um, there's a lot of things that they remember that we may not have even talked about. And so that's where we can really start to focus the journey and understand, you know, where are our blind spots as an institution? And where do we think we're actually doing pretty well, but students have said, this is a major point of frustration. And so that's where we get some really key insights as to where we need to focus our efforts. So that's the activities laid them out here. So again, we got our entry points, our audience members, our goals, their activities specifically within those goals. Uh, and now the, the, the two key pieces are attaching emotions and barriers to those activities. And so emotions um, are, are really something that we'll, we'll take from the students themselves. And so while we'll ask administrators, you know, what do you think is the, um, when a student's going through the application process, what do you what's your sense of their emotional state like what do you think they're feeling and thinking at that point and so when you measure again measure that off against what students are, are thinking and feeling in the application process uh, they're in a lot of cases just overwhelmed confused uh, they are very nervous huge levels of anxiety uh, I'm sure this isn't anything new for our admissions and recruitment officers but uh, when you look at it and really start to understand, okay, like after the student has applied and hasn't heard back from us in terms of a, an offer, uh, they are on pins and needles. And we need to be mindful of that in, in the way that we communicate with them. Uh, so I had one uh, particular institution where we were mapping the student journey and uh, the student, uh, it was a one-on-one -on -one interview, and uh, the student said, well, I had applied, I hadn't heard anything back, and then uh, they sent me a piece of mail. So as soon as I saw this you know, piece of mail, it was a kind of a big package, I thought, hey, this is my admissions office offer for sure. So you know, they got all excited, ripped open the package, and then realized it was just their, um, their application process for residents without even having first received an offer, right? And, and I think that's probably too real for a lot of institutions right now it's it's you know we work in, in in different areas and because of that we're not always mindful of that student journey so 
that's the type of emotional time frame that we really need to be mindful of. And so when we mail uh, or even email a student, uh, if I could map the email open rates of uh, students between the uh, students in the post application process before they've received an offer. If I could just look at their specific open rates, uh, I guarantee you there's probably a 20 to 30 percent jump. And they're they're really all ears at that point. And so we need to be mindful of that in that student journey and in the tone that we use, in the pieces of communication that we're putting forward, uh, and also in the volume of those communications. So that's sort of how we use those emotions. We also look at what is the intensity of those emotions. So I talked about the intensity uh, of an exam period, which is a very intense period where we should be uh, leaving out anything that's non-essential. And so when we identify a part of the student journey that, that says, you know, at this point, the student is very stressed out. And so we need to be uh, cognizant of that and reduce the level of things that we're expecting from them. So I've had a, one institution that we were mapping the student journey that their uh, application to graduate was actually uh, the deadline existed in the same period as the exam period. And, and it seems like an obvious thing to fix, but these are two different groups that were planning the exam period and a different group that was planning the graduation requirements. And so because of that, uh, a lot of students were missing the application to, to graduate and the deadline for it. And so just and, and that's not an observation that we could have uh, had as administrators unless they were really doing a deep dive and talking to each other. Uh, but it's something that many, many students had had uh, identified. So that's an example of, you know, when those emotional points are, are very frustrating for students, we need to make things a lot more simple. Next, so we've talked about emotions. We talked about activities, goals, audiences, and entry points. We'll talk about barriers. And so the barriers to the student journey uh, are, are really the key pieces. And so that's where we're gonna identify, uh, and for the alum that I just gave an example of, uh, that's where they're struggling. And so in our barriers, we're trying to identify what are the points at which we are uh, creating frustration for students or alum. And so when we identify those activities and we hear from students in the, in the interview process, and they say, you know what, when I was going through um, the application process and I didn't hear back for three weeks, uh, that was a really challenging period for me. And so they'll associate emotions like anxiety and stress and that kind of thing. And so that to me is a barrier. And so when we identify those points, um, we'll, we'll write down that this is a barrier and, and here's, here's what that student is feeling at that point. And so what has created that? And so the barrier in this particular case is that our speed of response did not line up with the expectation that the student had. So yes, we can get better and send those applications faster or there's those offer letters faster, but really what we need to do in the barrier that, and the thing that's causing the barrier is expectation setting. And so when they applied, did we, did we take the time to say, hey, you'll hear back from us in 14 days or you'll hear back from us by November 1st. And so unless we're doing that, we're creating a barrier for ourselves, right? Um, another barrier that I see very common on the prospect side uh, is just in the application process. So oftentimes we've got a, uh, we've got a lot of fields uh, in, in some complicated forms and sometimes we've got some supplemental application processes, uh, whether that be a, an audition or, uh, or an interview, uh, these kinds of things, whether that's even just the scheduling of the interview or the scheduling uh, of, the, of the audition, those can be challenges for students if we don't have a good process around them. And so I had one particular program it was a music program and I uh, didn't really know much about the music program, but I had interviewed two music students and they both identified that as the number one challenge in their student journey uh, was was they both almost missed their interview process or the audition process uh, because the person sent an email. It was a person they had never heard from before. Right? It was like the program coordinator uh, and they didn't really recognize the email address and the person was trying to schedule the interview like for the following week and they were both out of town and it didn't work. So that process for them made them really stressed out. And so unless we did those qualitative interviews, uh, the administrators um, don't necessarily see issues with the audition process. They just view it as, you know, we audition with these students and, you know, we send out offers afterwards. So 
those types of barriers exist. Uh, they can exist in uh, digital format as well, where uh, students get lost on the website. And uh, when we're building websites, I really look at, you know, what is that student journey? Where are they struggling? And then let's try to change our, our navigational structure or our information architecture according to that student journey. And so uh, that's 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 a way to identify. Okay, here here are the bar- here are where the barriers are. How do we make that process uh, more simple? And so. Another, the last example of barriers that I'll give uh, is is around um, opportunities. So there's a lot of small barriers that exist through the current student journey um, that just you know are opportunities. And so while it may not be the biggest barrier in the student experience, uh, it does allow you to say, "Here's something we can improve." Just really simple things. So uh, the example I like to give is in the um, residence application process. And so uh, a lot of institutions have, you know, different uh, residence houses and, and, uh, and all that kind of thing. And uh, it's, it's possible that, yes, there may be a centralized application, but is it just a, a one-click application? So if we've uh, taken in all of their information in terms of their application process, is it just a checkbox that says, yes, I'd like to apply to residence? Um, and I know there's more information that we need to capture, but uh, can the application process become that simplified? And so those are opportunities that to students, when you ask them to them, that, that all makes sense. And that that's sort of part of the process that they're used to seeing from other uh, industries, right? And that, that process, they're, they're being pulled along. Whereas in higher ed, in a lot of cases, we're, uh, we're not necessarily pulling them along. We're pushing barriers in front of them, and they're having to jump over these barriers. And so that's why I, when I talk about barriers, what are the, the, the thing is, you know, what can we do? to eliminate that barrier or to uh, allow students to no longer perceive it. And so while the student journey can be very complex, how do we internalize that complexity as an organization and provide simplicity to our student experience? The last piece that I'll talk about here is insights. And so while I've talked about the barriers and identifying, um, you know, what are those challenges, the insights very simply are what can we do to simplify that process? And so the insights are identifying in that residence application that I talked about, uh, simplifying that application process for residents. And so the insights will really form your implementation plan. And uh, what I like to suggest is at the end of it, at the end of your student journey process, you've got you know these insights and you rank them in order of priority. And then that's what we're working on this year. And so when we looked at it as a digital team for Laurentian University and said, you know, where are we going to focus this year? Well, the number one uh, challenge that students had was in choosing a program. And so we're going to invest a lot on content of programs and explaining what those programs are, uh, connecting related programs to them. And so that the student uh, that's exploring programs doesn't feel as though they're alone in the process and doesn't feel as though they're trying to hunt down information. And so that was for us our number one point of focus uh, for that prospective student journey. And that was derived from understanding that the biggest barrier students has was, had for us was choosing a specific program. And so those insights really form the basis of your activities for the year. And so at the end of that year, what are, you know, which ones have you achieved? If you've identified 10 uh, specific things that you would aim to achieve throughout that year, how many of them have been achieved? And then when you come back and do the journey mapping process again and say, of those 10 things, we had X level of impact on each specific step in the journey. And so that's really where you can, uh, like I talked about benchmarking before, really look at from step to step what has changed. And so that's insights. So just to recap that whole thing, we've talked about seven elements, the entry points, the audience members, the goals, the activities, the emotions, barriers, and finally insights. Yeah, wow, JP. I mean, I think that is, that's a really great rundown of everything that school and administrators are going to face as they're kind of building out this process. I guess the immediate question that I have when I hear you talk about the aspects of a journey map 
are how schools actually go about the process of building those maps. I imagine it is somewhat sequential in terms of the areas that you mentioned. And, and then I guess as a follow-up question, I'm really interested because I think this is so in-depth. Are there particular areas where you see institutions running into challenges? Uh, I mean, how can you take me through that? Yeah, uh, great question. And so when we look at the process, uh, it is sequential, so you're exactly right. And uh, I have sort of six steps that I identify and they very much align with what we've already talked about. But the first is just to define your audience. So what is gonna be the scope of this map? And so we've talked a lot about audiences, just defining that is, is key. Uh, second would be building that list of goals and activities a lot and what I recommend in a lot of cases is to do that first at the administrative level establishing a baseline and then looking at that uh, from the students perspective and validating it through the students qualitative interviews uh, and then on the quantitative side looking at it as well and saying from a Google Analytics perspective uh, or call logs perspective uh, what are some of the questions we face and when and how does that line up with the list of goals and activities that uh, our administrators have put together? So that's one and two. Three would be testing that baseline through data collection. And I've talked a little bit about that data collection already, uh, but really you're testing that baseline to see, you know, of the assumptions our administrators made, what is the difference between what we have here and what the students have told us? And that's sort of where you bring together uh, the list of activities in probably a sequential order. Uh, four would be building in those emotions and barriers into those specific activities and that that happens through the interviews uh, because you can't really uh, take in emotional uh, states through interviews, uh, sorry, through um, through administrative interviews, but you can absolutely do it through uh, talking to students about the activities they go through. Five would be creating that list of insights that I um, just talked about. And then six would be developing that implementation plan that's based on those insights. So those are the six steps, defining your audience, building lists of goals and activities, uh, testing that baseline of uh, activities and goals, uh, building in the emotions and barriers, and then creating the list of insights, and finally uh, creating the implementation plan based on those insights. So that's sort of the six steps. And if I, if I commented on the challenges, your second part of the question, um, some of the big ones that, that institutions uh, generally struggle with uh, in, in the second step is defining the difference between goals and activities. That can be a challenge. So um, focusing on user-centric goals is really the key there. Stepping out of our own agenda as administrators or faculty members and saying, you know, what is it that the student is truly trying to achieve here? And focusing your goals around there can be a challenge. Uh, another big challenge I see is in data collection. And the key thing in interviewing students, it's easy to interview the students that you know. And it's easy to interview the students that work in your office or work in uh, someone else's office, but you need to go find those students that are um, both very engaged in the process of the student journey and also disengaged. So you need to go hunt down that student that uh, just comes to campus for class and parks and takes off. You need to interview them because they're part of the student journey too and they absolutely um, you know, have a lot of insight that you need to benefit from. So. Those are some of the common challenges that I see um, across institutions. And I think the, the biggest thing, um, as you know, your listeners are probably thinking, how would I get this process like kicked off at my institution? Um, the biggest thing is really just having uh, institutional buy-in. And, and that really just comes from generally one area. So uh, if you're in the recruitment area and you guys decide, yeah, we're going to map the student journey for our area, that's great. And uh, you can start. So don't feel as though you need to convince everybody across your organization um, to run this process. Yes, there are benefits, um, but f do feel as though you can implement, uh, you know, a, a student journey mapping process, uh, even in a small way within your own unit. And yes, you know, the uh, process uh, across the institution is going to benefit you but you can start uh, you can start today if you want to and and that's the I hope the motivation that I'm giving uh, some of our listeners out there you can start now you can start today and start collecting some of that data you know I just picture listeners uh, you know taking nonstop notes as they listen to this and if you're one of those individuals you should know that that we will be releasing some show notes here to, to help you 
visualize a lot of the really incredible insight that, that JP has provided on this show. JP, I think some of the, the really interesting parts that, that I think you mentioned that I think bear repeating, and you've mentioned this a couple times, but I think you really we need to hammer home just the user-centric aspect of this process, right? It is all about getting insights from a qualitative standpoint and just and also in some ways a quantitative standpoint from the users, right? Stripping the insider bias out of the equation and really coming to terms with what our users are telling us and trusting the, that information. That's absolutely critical. Yeah. And if we talk about uh, hippos, uh, the highest, pay, highest paid person's opinion, uh, that's how I eliminate those conversations. I say, well, here's, here's what the result of, you know, 50 different one-on-one interviews and data collection of, you know, six months worth of data collection tell me about this part of the journey. I understand that your uh, niece's uh, daughter has gone through the process and really didn't enjoy a particular area. But if my data is telling me that only really applies to 5% of students, that's why that's number nine on our priority list. And so it's really hard to, to it's really hard to argue with that type of analysis that's really student centric and is not simply anecdotal. And so that's really what you're building when you're building the student journey. You're building the case for making data-driven decisions that are based off of student experiences. You've been so incredible on this show. It feels greedy to ask for anything else, but as you know from listening to the show, we do always uh, ask our guests to, to tell listeners where they can uh, find you online and, and also you know, spread the love and, and give some recognition to, to some colleagues who deserve more recognition of their work. Uh, so, so let's start with you, JP. Where can our listeners find you online and on social media? Yep, absolutely. So you can find me online at uh, jprains.com. That's J-P-R-A-I-N-S.com. Rains just like the weather. And uh, Twitter, JP underscore Rains. On uh, LinkedIn, it's JP space Rains. Uh, and uh, you can uh, feel free to add me uh, on any of those platforms. Uh, if you're adding me on LinkedIn, it'd be great if you mentioned that you heard me on this podcast. Uh, that way I'll be able to know uh, that, that uh, you know, I can accept your connection request. Happy to connect with anybody uh, in higher ed that's you know listening to this podcast uh, and and for the social shout outs uh, I'd love to do two shout outs one is to a colleague at Western University in London Ontario Canada uh, Melissa cheater so Melissa is the digital content manager at Western University uh, and uh, Melissa is the uh, original founder of the post-secondary education web conference um, which started in 2011 so the PSE Web Conference uh, in Canada. And uh, my other shout out goes to Dwayne Swizderek. Dwayne is the manager of digital experience at the University of Calgary. Uh, Dwayne has done some amazing things uh, in terms of the uh, improving the digital experience for prospective students. So if you visit the University of Calgary website and check out some of the stuff that they've done, uh, I had the pleasure of working with Dwayne uh, in a previous life. And uh, they do some great stuff at the University of Calgary. And uh, kudos to Dwayne and Melissa for being rock stars in higher ed. Awesome. So listeners, you heard it here. Go follow Melissa. Go follow Dwayne. And above all, go follow JP. He is a fountain of insight. Uh, JP, once again, thank you so much for joining the hashtag higher ed podcast. This has been awesome for me. uh, And I'm sure our listeners appreciate it as well. And uh, look forward to connecting and communicating in the future. Uh, It's been my pleasure. Thanks very much. 